Hey, Carol, what looks like an ant and is called an ant, but isn't? I'll give you a hint. She's actually quite beautiful. She's velvety in texture. She has a stinger about this long. When you say this long. A quarter inch stinger, maybe a half an inch. In fact, her whole body is mostly a stinger. And she is crawling all around in my garden, in my Oklahoma garden right now. Okay, so I was trying to think of a witty comeback, but I have nothing. (laughs) So she is called the Velvet Ant, or a.k.a. the Cow Killer. I don't know why she's called a Cow Killer, because she does not kill cows, but she will make them want to die because they hurt. So she's not aggressive. She looks black and orange, very pretty little creature. And she crawls really fast on the ground. She has no wings. And, but if you pick her up, she is going to sting the bedickens out of you. So this is my, what do you call that? PSA. This is my PSA to wear your garden gloves, friends. Do you have any of these creatures in your garden? You know what? I just pulled up the link that you sent to me and I, I do not believe that I have such a creature in my garden. If I have, I have never seen it. She looks very Halloween-y. She does look Halloween-y, and the truth is she wants nothing to do with you. But if you're down there grabbing weeds, as we are right now, you could actually accidentally get stung by her or get bitten by an assassin bug, or there's lots of things that can happen. You could smash a blister beetle. So it's that time of year, friends. It is. And you know, Dee, that reminds me that I did write a roundup of different kinds of gardening gloves for Family Handyman. We'll give a link to it. Okay. Sounds good. Shall we welcome everyone? Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet, about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hey, Carol. How's your garden grow? Well, I want to hear about your garden first because I always go Oh, first. do you? Yeah. Oh, do you? Okay. Um, It is so freaking hot out there that this morning I texted you and said, hey, can we record in the afternoon so I can get a little work done? And you said, you betcha. I sure did. <laughs> because you are out working too. So it's a good time to work in the morning. And I have been pulling weeds and fertilizing roses because it's the last time of the year to do that. And I didn't last long yesterday. And then today I did pretty good. So there's a lot of crabgrass, a lot of mulberry weed in my gardens. I saw a velvet ant. And I also saw four or five monarch caterpillars on the milkweed in my cutting cutting garden, which is a little early. But there are some monarchs that hang around in Oklahoma, or it may be an early one coming back. But the most exciting thing is, remember those zinnia seeds I bought from the flower farmer? Not too many weeks ago, you bought them. Yes, I planted them almost immediately, and they're up. And they all came up bunched together because sometimes that happens. So I moved a bunch of them around yesterday. Or day, it was really day before yesterday. And I thought they might not like it, but you know what? They did just fine. And actually, I pinched them off and they're already growing new leaves in those little pinched off spots. Very nice. Well, it was hot here last week, but it was not hot like Oklahoma. 
Not 102? No, no. We we got into the 90s. We kept having these pop-up showers. And like Friday, I went to the grocery store and I got done shopping and I looked down. And I was like, where'd the sunshine go? We had we had like a quarter, half inch of rainfall down. So that's good news. It is good news. So I've been picking green beans and squash ever so patiently waiting for the tomatoes, which are taking their sweet time this year. Um, I did notice that there is a critter that's going out to the garden and having a party at night. Some of the low hanging tomatoes they have gotten, Mm. but I've cleaned all that up. Uh, I also mowed and uh, trimmed. And I did that early because I didn't want to be out there in the heat. And this morning I got out there. And I finished mulching a few areas. So I, I end July, and because today is July 31st, I end July right. with no no little pile of those five bags of mulch that I never got to. They're all taken care of. And so I weeded out in the front, weeded around the veg, the bird feeding station, and all is very good. Yeah, there's a lot to do this time of year. I also forgot to mention that I cut back my lavender yesterday, and I did a video on it on Instagram. And I also celebrated power tools. And I forgot I mentioned you in the video because you have a different brand than I have. So that was not not a sponsored post. It was just, here's something that has really helped me. I'll have to go listen to it. So what we're going to go on to our new segment, which is playing favorites. And I think you should go first this time. What is your favorite? Well, my favorite at the moment is the Agastachi or Agastachi, however you want to pronounce it. I I don't know. I have some out here by the bird feeders outside my window, and there's always bees all over it. And I mentioned weeding around that this morning. And what I love is they smell like licorice. And so I I think when I go to the store, I'm going to buy licorice candy now. Yuck. (laughs) I I love licorice licorice. candy. Love it. I know you do. Do you grow bronze fennel? Because it tastes like licorice too. I don't, but I should. You should, you should pick a little spot that, because it also benefits caterpillars. So it's good for a lot of things, but I like to pinch it off and chew it when I'm out in the garden, because even though I don't like licorice candy, I love the taste of fennel. So go figure. Go figure. Okay. And mine, it is the Tithonia. Oh, I have to ask, is your Agastache, Agostache, whatever it's called, is it Blue Fortune that you're talking about? Well, you know, out by the... Out by the curb or the sidewalk, that I know is Blue Fortune. And I planted some here, and I kind of think it was a shorter variety. But just just let's go with Blue Fortune. Okay, sounds good. Because some of my Blue Fortune grows taller than the, the rest of it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I like that plant too. But right now, it is my Tithonia torch um, for me. It It is the most beautiful shade of orange. And I used to not, I mean, no, that's not true. I always liked orange in the garden, but there are certain shades of orange I don't like as much. And Tithonia is the perfect shade of orange. Perfect. Do you grow it? I do not. Huh. I featured it in a video of, you know, a few days ago too, like last week. And people, a lot of people didn't know about it. Maybe it doesn't grow well in Indianapolis. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I just simply, I don't know. I don't know. Annual perennial. Uh, It's an annual. 
That's what and I thought. It's, it's called Mexican sunflower. It's its common name. And it grows really tall unless you get one of the short varieties. There's a short variety out there. It's just a mine's torch, which is the most common cultivar. And I start it from seeds in the spring. You can direct sow it, but it it takes a long time to get going. So I actually started indoors and it it just does great and pollinators love it. It makes a good cut flower. It blooms all the time when it's hot. It's a good plant. All right. Well, you know, I might put that on the list for next year. Cool. Why don't you do the next quote? Well, I will do the first quote of the day. Well, it's next too. <laughs> but when living things of beauty disappear, we don't have any way of storing them in a museum. Greg Lowry. And we talked about Greg Lowry last weekend. I mean, last week, because he was featured on Florette's show, Growing Florette. And he he is a heirloom rose enthusiast who has a nonprofit and he's tried to save a lot of heirloom roses. And her interview with him deeply touched me. So a bunch of our quotes are from him this week. They're things that I listen to in the show. Excellent. So our flower this week is our favorite cut flowers. Yeah. And so your list is much longer than mine and you have an actual cutting garden. I do. I have four, no six. I have six four by four beds. That's, that's a pretty good size cutting garden. It's not as big as it used to be. Cause I used to have uh big long beds, but they didn't do as well and they were harder to work. And eventually the boards bowed out. And so when we rebuilt them, I asked Bill if I could have them four by four. Because as you know, and also they're tall. So the boards are six inches tall. And so there's two boards on top. So they're uh, whatever. I don't know. They're a foot tall or two feet tall. Heck, I don't know. I don't pay that much. I guess they're two by two by twelves. So they're two feet tall, my beds, which is good and bad, but we don't have to go into that right now. The best part about them is I can sit on the edge to weed them if I want to, right? So your back right. doesn't get tired. And um I can grow almost anything in them because the soil's so good and I improve it every year. And also they drain really well and they heat up really fast in the spring. And that's where I grow most of my cut flowers, but I also sprinkle cut flowers throughout my gardens too. So we both have in common zinnias on the list, which I think that's a cut flower that if you've got a bit of sunshine and a place to scratch the dirt, throw down some seeds. Zinnias is the way to go for cut flowers. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute about some people find them hard to grow. Well, we don't want those people don't matter to us. Yes, they do. They're (laughs) the ones we're trying to help. Okay, fine. I was just trying to, you know. (laughs) Okay. So I've talked a lot about zinnias this year. I've been infatuated with all the work that different flower farmers are doing with zinnias. Hands down, I think the best. Zinnia series that is the most mildew resistant is the Oklahoma series. They've worked really hard on it. I would agree with that. And that is one reason that a lot of people don't like the big tall zinnias is because this time of year, I don't care who you are. I don't care how carefully you garden. I don't care what you put on those things. Right. You shouldn't really put anything on them. Zinnias are going to have mildew. Yeah, they are. And I even drip, I use drip irrigation in that bed, but mine even have a little mildew this year because we had such a wet spring. 
Yeah. So you are going to have mildew. And one of the secrets of dealing with that and all other flowers that displease us at certain seasons of the year is grow something at their feet. I mean, grow African blue basil or flocks or something around them so you don't have to look at them all the time. If that bothers you, if and if it's not in a cut flower garden, in a cut flower garden, it's a whole different deal. You're just growing them in rows if That's if right. you have a traditional one. So another thing about zinnias that I think people don't get is they don't like to be too crowded after I have ever after what I just said. They still don't like to be too crowded. They do they not. like about six inches between each adult plant. If you can do it, mine are about four inches apart because I I'm I home. go a little I go uh like eight eight inches or so, but mm-hmm. Here's the thing I was thinking about my zinnias as cut flowers. They're pretty. And I just, I just bought some mixes and, you know, there's a variety out there, but they're mm-hmm. all the big, bold colors. And mm-hmm. after seeing those pictures oh. that you sent of all those muted colors, I thought next year I'm going with like the whole queen series, like the queen line, the queen line. And, mm-hmm. and all those, I'm going with that whole series and I'm just going to go with muted colors which kind of flies in the face of I was going to save a bunch of zinnia seeds and just see what happened. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. I'll get those that. other kind and then I'll save them the next year. So I grow both and I'm also growing that set out that I bought from that lady. And um, I'll say this about the queen lime. They are not as easy to grow as some of the other series and the easiest one in the group. I'll go from easiest to hardest. Are you ready? Sure. Easiest is queen lime orange. Queen lime orange is the easiest and it looks like a sunset. It's really pretty. Queen lime, which is the rose one. It's or queen. Is it queen rose, queen lime, queen? I think it's queen lime rose. Queen lime rose, I think. Okay. That's the pink one. That's the second easiest. And then it starts to get harder. Um, And then there's the yellow one, which isn't too bad either. Yellow one's not bad. And then there's queen lime with blush. Queen lime with blush is a pain in the rear and it is hard to grow, but it is so, so pretty. So pretty. I'm going to grow some of those next year. So I'll let you know how hard they are to grow here. But before this becomes the Uh, Xenia episode again. Oh, sorry. The The next one we have in common is sweet peas. Sweet peas are lovely for cut flowers. Once they start blooming, if they start blooming, yeah, a little bit hard to grow because they don't like the heat. And right now I collected a bunch of seed pods and they're laying on a paper towel drying so that I could save some seeds because they turned last week. And I I'm like, ooh, I got to pull those out. Those look bad. Yeah, I accidentally let mine mine burst and went all over the place. So <laughs> I will have little pink ones growing up amongst other things. Oh, I read something interesting in our book coming up about sweet peas. Remind me when we get there. Okay. Okay. What do we have next? That's the so same. I like to cut peonies and we've talked about those cutting them when they're just the buds. And we've talked before about how I've saved them in the refrigerator in the bud stage. And then you can get them to bloom in July, which is kind of fun. And a woman from my garden club, when I told her how to do that in May, she did it. And she sent me a picture end of June, I think it was. And she had just a beautiful bouquet of peonies that she had done it to. Yeah, I don't then, ever cut them unless it's going to rain, and then I bring them in. Do you cut your daffodils as cut flowers? Yes, because 
I have so many, so many daffodils. So many. And they have such a long season. And so, yeah, I bring in lots of daffodils and they don't really like to play with others. So yeah, we talked like about by that. themselves. And then uh, I suppose the sunflowers, if I got my wits about me and cut those in the right yeah. stage, those would be a lovely cut flower. And then they the are. other thing that I've always cut and just put in the bouquet just for variety is a nice big hosta leaf. Interesting. I've never done that. Well, you don't grow a lot of hostas, do you? I actually have quite a few. I just don't talk about them. Oh, we can talk about them someday. Yeah. Well, you should, you should take some of the leaves and they just, they kind of make a nice addition to a, you're, you're looking at me like, yeah, whatever, Carol. Okay. Well, I think that they would, I mean, no, it has nothing to do with you cutting them. It has to do with the fact that hostas aren't my favorite thing. Um, I think that it would look a little bit like lily of the valley, you know, because the hosta leaf looks like a lily of the valley leaf, only large. You know how the back leaf of a lily of the valley looks? Yes, I do. It would kind of remind me of that. And it would be a nice big piece. It's not a ferny foliage. So there you go. And then you have a bunch of others. Of course, you cut your roses. Sure. Of course I do. Because you know what? If I don't cut them, the Japanese beetles sometimes will eat them. So I might as well get them instead of them. Um, Okay. So here are some I grow. Um, Lavender, of course. Is a great cut flower. Yes, it is. And then, and then when lavender's done, Salvia farinacea takes over and does that vertical element just as well. Yes, it does. Um, roses, uh, surprise lilies are actually quite pretty inside if you accidentally break one off, and they Oops. smell good. I have yeah. done that before. Yeah, that that always kind of like ah broke that off. I brought one inside yesterday by accident. Um, Panicum virgatum, which is a grass. It's a switchgrass and it's native and there are a bunch of cultivars and it looks really pretty with flowers because it has that leaf and then it has the inflorescence. It's very pretty this time of year. And then um, Nicotiana is a really pretty cut flower. It's got a sticky, you know, sticky, but you know, whatever. And then Celosia. Celosia and amaranth are used all the time by cut flower farmers. The interesting thing is, is my celosia is just now getting ready to bloom. It's taken it all summer. You mean the ones you grew from seed? Yes, the ones the I grew from seed. The flame of orange? No, no, I didn't grow flame of orange this okay. time. I grew it last year. These are what, but let me point out, I started these seeds late because oh, I had okay. empty spots. And so I started them late and they look really beautiful. And then bronze fennel or regular fennel both look really good in a vase with other things. And then there's all the umbellifers, but I can't always get those to grow. Although I am going to try again next year. So, you know what else? I I had a thought of another beautiful cut flower, which now escapes me completely. Cosmos, maybe it's really pretty as a cut. Cosmos is very pretty actually. And I don't mind um, marigolds. Some people don't like the scent, but I don't like mar. I don't mind marigolds as a cut flower. I think they're very pretty. So th- really, a lot of flowers, as long as they don't shatter right away, they make great cut it, flowers. Yeah, Phlox paniculata makes a great yes, cut flower. So um, there are a lot of good flowers. You have to just use your imagination and think about different shapes. It's not like it's really hard. I took over, um, at your suggestion, I took over flowers to a friend the other day. And... Um, 
she loved them. Oh, and dahlias. We didn't mention dahlias. Dahlias make great cut flowers too. Dahlias, darling. I don't grow dahlias. Yes. Uh, I was going to say tall, do. tall snapdragons is a good cut flower. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And actually larkspur, I think is pretty good too in spring. It's just we're in summer now. So I suggested that you take cut flowers to somebody. I can't imagine. Yes. I have a friend who's ill and you oh. said- you should take her flowers from your garden. And I said, but she's a gardener. And you said, but she doesn't grow the same things you do. And I said, oh, duh. Okay. I do not recall. She had dahlias in this vase. And then we added my zinnias to them and some sunflowers and a bunch of other stuff. And she was, she said it was beautiful and it was beautiful. So there you go. One last cut flower that I think is pretty, if you can get away from the, uh, funereal element of it and that's the gladiolus i know gladiolus yeah i love glads and that's why they are used in funeral arrangements they make an excellent cut flower so are bells of ireland although i can't grow them here i've tried and tried so i have not tried bells of ireland in a while one other last now this is really the last cut flower hydrangeas oh yeah hydrangeas are beautiful yeah beautiful beautiful so we just gave everybody lots of ideas. Yeah, yeah lots of ideas. We're yeah. good. We're good. Do that quote. Are you ready for the quote? I am. Okay. The conclusion I have come to is beauty is just as important as raising the food we eat. If we don't cultivate the beauty in our lives, we're lost. That's Greg Lowry. And that is correct. And so for our vegetable topic, we're going to talk about how we add beauty to our vegetable gardens. And the answer is flowers, flowers, flowers. That's some of it. Yeah. So you go first. How do so you add? My big row of zinnias is along the back of the vegetable garden. That's where the sunflowers are. I have nasturtiums in there. The front of each row or uh, the row, the part of the row closest to the house. I always plant miniature dwarf snapdragons in there and alyssum in the spring and there's some tulips that still come up and bloom and then that's where all the nicotiana just kind of works itself to where i just like oh you have to play in that little six inch strip at the beginning of each row so i keep Mm -hmm. i keep that part with flowers and then i have a little decorative fencing that i had bought i don't know two decades ago at sam's club that's kind of like a old-fashioned metal archy thing and i've got two of those so it kind of separates that from the rest of the bed so mm-hmm. that is my decorative element and then i have an idea after thinking about this episode cool okay so i plant things like red bat-faced kufia to spill over my raised bed walls and the potager because i have a red fountain in the center of it my kitchen garden is very attractive and it has lavender I think it's very attractive. It has lavender going down all the sides of the raised beds, except one side this year, because that's where the fire burned up the lavender. So while the fire had burned up the lavender, I pulled it out and then I put in um, parsley there. And it actually is really pretty with that row of parsley. So that works too. Um, What else? I plan... Oh, the thread fountain has flowers planted all around it. And not only does that bring beauty to your garden, but it also brings in pollinators. And so I have salvia farinacea around it, which is my favorite of the blue salvias because the leaves are beautiful and they don't get ratty and they're easy to deal with. And you can pull them up whenever you want. I just went out and uh, cut back all of mine a little bit ago out in my 
kitchen bed, the kitchen border that runs along my kitchen. And then let's see, I have lantana in that spot too. And I change it up each year. And one year I did pineapple sage in the aria form, which is the lime green leaves. Yes. And that is one of the prettiest pictures of my garden I ever took is in the fall. So I'll go dig it up for the newsletter. And, um, you know, mulch makes things pretty too. If you mulch around things, no matter what kind of mulch you use, it tidies things up. Um, it also enriches the soil as it decays. Um, uh, all the garden structures that you use from trellises to grow things on. And those are all things that make it pretty too. And then I think that's, I mean, I was trying to think of anything else. So in my pots that I grow my tomatoes, I put marigolds in the front of those to make it beautiful. I think Phyllis is the prettiest marigold in the world. Although I'm going to try some others next year too. I, I just think that African marigold is unbelievably beautiful. And it's the, I think the foliage smells good as you brush by it. Um. I think having certain herbs that are very attractive, lavender being one of them, but that blue right. spice basil. And this year I have a variegated basil and I have a variegated t- silver thyme. And I think that makes your garden more beautiful too. Anytime you can soften, mine are, my walls are concrete. They're um, kind of a red concrete brick set of bricks. And I think anytime you can soften walls with something that drapes over the edge. You know, just anything to make it more beautiful. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, what else I've done in my vegetable garden? I actually have a a weather vane out there that uh, a local artesian made with spoons. Yep. And um, it's painted. It, it kind of twirls out there, especially when it's really windy. And then just to give it a sense of place, I guess, I had a gate put in, even though I don't have a fence around so there's a fence around my entire backyard, but the garden is just like two rows of shrubs and stuff between the garden and the rest of the yard. And so, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago, I had a guy put in a fence. So there's a nice fence that opens up mm-hmm. into the garden. So, and then I remember now I have a, a little table and two chairs that are painted orange they're kind of by that gate so if you want that's where i set stuff down when i go work in the garden so when Mm -hmm. i think about it it's like well i have a few more decorative things than i thought yeah i have chairs red chairs that sit at the end so i can sit down um i think there's a lot of things you can do to vegetable gardens but there's also that cautionary tale about don't put so many flowers in it that you don't have room for the vegetables. And I think we talked about that's that last true. week. That's true. That was in uh, Jessica Wallace, Wallace's Plant Partners book. You can't, if you have too many flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what's happened here over the years. I mean, yeah. everything started out as a vegetable garden and then it became a flower garden, flower garden. Uh, yeah. Obviously my heart is more into flowers than it is to vegetables, even though I love vegetables and I grow them. Yeah, that's true. I um, have decided I'm going to get some big stakes at the, I'm going to see if I have some squirreled away in the garage first, but I've always liked the idea of those where they put a stake and then they hang a flower pot on top of it. Mm-hmm. That's pretty. And so yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to paint like the number one, two, three, four, five on the various pots. And then I'm mm-hmm. going to number my beds and then I can keep better track of like bed number one, bed number two, bed number three. It'll sound very official and, very organized. 
Sounds like you're a beekeeper. That's what a lot of them do with their hives. So there you go. All right. Well, that's some of our ways to to make our vegetable gardens prettier. So we'd love to hear from listeners if they have any ideas. Yes, we would. All right. Well, I'm going to do a quote so we can go into our bookshelf. My walls outside must have some flowers. My walls within must have some books. A house that's small, a garden large, and in it, leafy nooks. William Henry Davies. Who's that? I don't know, but I I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Although I, I live in a very big house because I had all these kids and my husband's my husband. All right. This takes us to On the Bookshelf. And we found this book at the library. You and- found it. And then I made me check it out. Oh, is that what happened? Yes, that's yes. right. I found a bunch of books at the library. So because this time of year, book publishers kind of slow down. They put out a whole lot of books in the spring, and then they start putting books out in the fall. But the summer, it can be hard to find books. And sometimes we find stuff that we haven't heard about. And this is one of them. It's called Grow and Gather, A Gardener's Guide to a Year of Cut Flowers. See our theme here? I and it's by, it's by Grace Alexander. And she lives in Great Britain. I want to say she lives over by Devon, but it is part diary and part how-to book with a few crafts. But I'll say this, her crafts are at least helpful crafts. I'm really tired of gardening books that are just one craft after another. And the reason they do this is because a lot of these people are influencers and they do a lot of crafts online, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram or wherever, and then they throw it all together in a book. And this is not like that. This is a woman who is very interesting. She is a psychologist and she's an expert witness in the UK family courts. And when I told my daughter, Megan, who is also a, well, she's a social worker, but she's a psychological social worker. When I told her that Megan said, oh, poor woman, because family court is hard. So she gardens when she's not at work and she gardens extensively. She does. And and she describes her property. And when she described it, it doesn't seem like it's, I mean, it's not acres and acres, but she has a it's diagram of it. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, I feel like a slacker. Is her garden no bigger than mine? I don't know. It's bigger than yours. Okay. Then you're the slacker. Well, my garden's huge. I am not a slacker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think, okay, so she started growing cut flowers and, um, I thought she had some, I really like this book. I wouldn't say it's easy to read. The type is so unbelievably tiny, right? It is small type. Yes. I noticed that too. Oh my gosh. I almost needed a magnifying glass to read it. And I don't know why they did the small type. This one's published by Hardy Grant, which is one of our favorite publishers, Uh, We've done a lot of Hardy Grant books. I don't know how we didn't end up with this one in 2021, which is when it was published. And um, anyway, she has three dogs. One's a Cocker Spaniel that's male. And then there's an aunt and a niece, and they are Irish setters. And they are beautiful dogs. And they're featured on her Instagram. And they're also featured in the book. And um, she, what's I I find some things interesting. So I'm going to tell her her tips. Okay, and then we'll go back to her website and her her thing she started. So um, 
when you go to sow your seeds, direct sow or not direct sow, first water before sowing. And she said that's different than when you're transplanting plants. But she doesn't like to water after sowing because she said it moves the seeds. She's right. And then she says, have a pen and label in hand before you sow the seed. Amen, sister. I agree with that totally because you think you'll know where you put that stuff, but you do not know where it is. And if you're going to use a Sharpie, this is my addition to that. If you're going to use Sharpie as your pen, you need to push the label down far enough so that the Sharpie writing is below the surface of the soil, because in my climate, it will fade with the sun. That it will. I have my fancy Epson label printer, and I have discovered that those labels are indestructible. Do you do that for seeds that you sow outside? Wow. Yeah, because I know I'm going to sow them, so I'll make up a label before I go outside, and I'll write down, you know, and they're very, it's very, uh, very fancy, but these things are indestructible. And so if I use the same varieties next year, I'll just use the same labels. I'm just saving them. So you're going to link to all that. And honest to goodness, have you done a post on that yet? The Epson label printer that I use? And your labels and how you make your labels. I think that would be a great blog post. And I would probably buy. I'll make a note here to make a blog. I think post. that would be very helpful to me and everyone else. Okay. So she also carries a notebook around with her. Um because labels move and she's right. It isn't crows in her case, but in my case, crows pick them up and move them. But she also does photographs of the notebook and keeps the photographs in a folder on her phone. Now, bear in mind, she's a cut flower farmer, so she can't, she needs to know the exact variety, but all of these tips are pretty good. Then I thought this one was a really good tip. She sows small amounts of her seeds frequently in succession. Because that way, her whole packet doesn't get annihilated. Um, D, on the other hand, is the slash and burn type. And I just go in there and do the whole thing at one time. And a lot of times it doesn't work. And then I have to do more. But I usually have more than one pack of seeds. And I thought that was a really good tip. And then for sweet peas, this is the sweet pea tip. She uses cardboard toilet paper rolls. And she never direct sews them because of mice. She has trouble with mice on sweet peas. I don't. Um, but my stuff has grown on a raised bed that's covered with rock around it. So, but I still thought that was a great idea because you get the really deep roots. It's like those root trainers. That's what And you I need. thought that's brilliant because then you just take the whole thing and stick it down in the soil. And then that way the sweet pea will grow. So good tip. Um, she thinks that you should water seedlings from beneath. So I have these trays too, and they're those plastic, not too big trays. And then you can fill it up with water and then it's it wicks it at the root level. Um, I have had those, but uh, I just, I'm just careful to walk. Me too. She does, she's water. really picky about this. I, I don't think it's as big a deal. I did. Th- but if she's growing a lot and maybe she's relying on other people to help with watering, it may be easier it might to be. do that. Um, than- she just thinks it. It's so easy to mess them up. So anyway, and then she grows flocks, her flocks paniculata in a container to make the stems longer, but mine are long enough as it is. My flocks paniculata gets big and tall here. I, well, she's from England. I think it's, I don't think it grows as hardy as it does here. Well, no, that's not true. I was in the King's garden when he was the prince and his flocks was just as tall as mine. So I don't know why she does that. But anyway, she says that's why she does it. I thought the book was good. I'm, I'm 75% of the way through it. 
Um, now let's talk about how she's figured out how to make money. Oh, she's not making money selling a book or or being a flower farmer? <laughs> not really. Um, to get her seeds, which she can now distribute to also the United States, because, you know, there's that thing with seeds between the UK and the United States. And that's why Florette doesn't send seeds anywhere outside of Canada and the US because of the, it's just complicated and hard. So in her case, she's figured out how to do it. And um, she has this thing on her website that is a private paywall. That's the professional name for it. And she, but she calls her group gather. So you're part of this group, but it's a paywall. And I looked up how much it cost and it took a long time for me to get there. I had to go through several walls to find out what the cost was because she wanted to capture my email. And um, it is 15 pounds a month. That's almost $30 a month here. That's a lot of money to belong to that group. Group, her gather group. And supposedly they get more content. They get access to her seeds. Um, there's some other benefits as well. Do they get seeds for free? No, they don't get seeds for free. They have to buy them. And so you can join from the United States. And then I wrote underneath it, I did not. Yes. <laughs> but that should not take away from the fact that she has written a lovely book. It doesn't take away from anything. It yeah. doesn't take away from anything. If you can do it and you can get people to pay it, I say fine. Yeah. I just I just am not willing to do that. So her book is wonderful. So it's Grow and Gather, A Gardener's Guide to a Year of Cut Flowers by Grace Alexander. And and we both enjoyed it. And then next week we're doing a totally different book. That's right. Which is actually about vegetables. This one's due back at the library. And so I will return this to my library. If you're in the Indianapolis, Indiana area, the one copy in circulation will soon be back in circulation. And it's worth reading. And especially if you're somebody who has a little bit of experience gardening, enough that you know that stuff in the UK is a little different than in the US. That's true. All right. Next quote, D. People are like dirt. They can either nourish you and help you grow as a person, or they can stunt your growth and make you wilt and die. Supposedly, this is from Plato. I doubt it, but it's still a really good and true quote. It is. It is. Dirt. Talk about boxwoods. So uh came across my email from Purdue University that there's a lot of problems with boxwoods. And I'm like, uh yeah. So there's not there's, here where you live. Yeah. So there was a there's been a boxwood wilt that's caused people a lot of problems. But we had that really, really cold winter weather that just sort yeah. of snapped, came two days before Christmas and stayed about a week. And the boxwoods took a beating. And in my neighborhood, I've noticed like uh, one of my neighbors, there's just some brown patches and stuff. And then another neighbor, her boxwoods died completely. And mm -hmm. uh, over at my nephew's house, my sister and I did their shrubs. They've got some winter dieback. So it is a problem. But the problem is... It Can looks I ask a, a question? Yeah. Are these Asian boxwoods or are they English? Or do you know? They're probably Asian. Well, here, we just can't grow English boxwoods anymore. They just won't. They can't make it through our winters. But the I Asian ones. I think these ones, are English. These are the Buxus, Buxus Sempervirens. Well, I think uh, now we're going to get into too much complication. Okay. So let's just this. say this. You keep going. The one thing Purdue said is because of all the diseases that have been plaguing the boxwoods, 
win or die back and the diseases look quite similar. And the only way that you're going to be able to tell the difference is if you send the sample off to Purdue and then they'll look and tell you whether it was winter injury or the disease. If it's the disease, you might as well just pull the dang things out. And then I, Bob Hill is this uh, writer down in Southern Indiana, just across the Ohio River from Louisville. And I've actually was at his gardens before he shut down his nursery several years ago because he is 80 years old. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he wrote a nice post called Boxwood Winter, which is what they're calling the the last winter because the boxwoods all took a beating. He had 42 right. different boxwoods in his garden and uh, he started to, to take them out to take them out. You know, I think he started with a few and then a few more. And the next thing you know, every single boxwood, 42, he's ripped them out. He, he talks about how it opened up areas that were closed off and it's kind of given his garden a new life. Not to have these old boxwoods hanging around. Okay. I don't think these are Asian boxwoods. I think they're all English. I think English you're right. boxwoods is what they look like to me. Um, I'm just looking at the leaves while you're talking. And he actually replaced some of his boxwoods with aronia. So we've been dealing with some of these problems in Oklahoma for a while. And also in Arkansas. Arkansas has, has found I think boxwood blight. Um, it's hard to know which disease is getting them. It's like everything else. You know, at some point you just decide I am not planting that anymore. I will say that a bunch of us have gone to um, a bunch of us have gone to Asian boxwoods. I only have one, two, three, four, five, five, six down there. And I have a couple of vertical boxwoods. Um Mine are all Asian. I can't, we can't grow English. And you know why? I, because it's just too cold. Yeah. I, I, in the I don't know which ones. I think these are all English. The other thing that I've noticed is there's, a, there's another neighbor around the, around the way and down around the corner, not anywhere near, mm-hmm. but she's got some boxwoods. I mean, she keeps those things tight, tight, tight. I don't think they've gotten any bigger than the day she planted them 20 years ago. Oh. She must prune those things every, like mowing grass and they, they yeah, and still it's not live. really good for them. It's they not, still it's not live. Good for them. They still live, but I'm thinking those boxwoods so want to, they so want to grow. They want to grow just a little. My boxwoods stay. I do them twice a year and that's it. If I do them twice, sometimes I just do them once and I have certain favorites that I like and some that I don't like. So there you I, go. Five of mine burned up in the fire. I have an older sister who had two boxwoods by her front walk and she kind of let them get overly big and they were kind of blocking mm-hmm. the sidewalk. And I said, she said, what would you do? And I said, I would take them out completely. And she didn't want to do that. But then after she retired, they took them out completely and never looked back. Yeah, I think they're good for the right application, you know, for the right place. Um, I think they are, it's really hard to get them to grow here like they did, like they once did in England, but now they have that boxwood moth in England and it's killing, they're, they're going away from boxwoods too. So five of mine burned up in the fire. Um, they were green velvet. I don't like green velvet as much as I do some of the other ones. I like winter gem and I really like winter green. And they're big. And then there's baby Jim. And those are all Asian. So when people want them, those are the ones I suggest. I think think people are planting Asian around here because winter Jim sounds familiar. I just don't plant a bunch of them. So I don't really keep up on them. 
If I'm in an old property for a garden coaching deal, they'll be English and they're usually sick. And then if it's a new property and it's a landscaper's property, it's almost always going to be baby Jim. That's just the one they always pick, which stays tight and small. Right. That's maybe what And there's some other ones too. Yeah. Anyway, the dirt is tough year for boxwoods. Yeah. I think Oklahoma is always tough for boxwoods. You want to do the next quote? Yes. When you tell yourself you're a gardener, your life is different. And that is Greg Lowry. So rabbit holes. Um, I said that my rabbit hole was just cooking produce and keeping cool. And I made a really interesting recipe from Taste of Home called sausage ratatouille. And I did it in the crock pot, served it over rice, and it used up almost all my vegetables. So that was an awesome recipe. Yeah. I need a good squash recipe. I still have a bunch. This one has squash. (laughs) I have two. I've got some that have gotten too big. I think I'm going to make I think I'm going to make some squash bread, zucchini bread, they call it, not squash Zucchini bread. bread. Yeah, we make it bread. here. You know what I like is squash casserole. When I get so much squash, I it's just fabulous. Yeah, I should do that. So my rabbit hole is another lost lady of garden writing named Alice Morse Earl. And I started looking her up because I have two big, mm-hmm. thick books. And like Hannah Ryan that I talked about, I think, last week, someone mm-hmm. has written a biography about her. Uh, in 2014, I think it was, because apparently her life wasn't all about garden writing. Go figure. How is that possible? I have no idea, but apparently she was very big into (laughs) writing about colonial times. And so I have ordered that copy of her biography to be sent to my library branch. Should arrive in a couple of days, so I'm going to check that out. And uh, I just think it's interesting that when you look her up, like on Wikipedia, there's not really a mention about the garden writing part of it. The same with Hannah Ryan from last week. That's mm-hmm. not really what people remember her for. So it's just interesting. That's That was my rabbit hole. <laughs> okay. So um, what time period did she live in? I think Alice died in the early 1900s. Okay. So the, way back. The books I have from her, let me, let me tell you, because I look them up on my my book database, which I was, yeah. So let me just tell you right now, I'll tell you when those books were published. And cause I have two of the two of them. One of them was published in 1901 and one of them in 1902. Okay. So she died in the early 1900s. Yeah. And 1901, the book is oddly enough called old time gardens. So what there was an go. old time garden in 1901? Probably a colonial era garden. Probably. Yeah. And the other book is Sundials and Roses of Yesterday, 1902. Huh. There you go. Very curious. All right. Garden commissions. All right. Garden commissions. Um, I'm feeding the roses, which takes a little bit. I'm keeping everything watered because it's over 100 degrees all week. Um, I'm also checking all of my drip systems because I realized in the back on my deck that there was something wrong. Even though I had checked it earlier, the lines had gotten stopped up and things weren't getting enough water. And so we went, I, I started working on it and I got it all cleaned up. And then um, same thing for my pots with the tomatoes. Remember you're not going to get tomatoes right now because when it's over a hundred, the blossoms fall off Um, and weed I'm weeding, weeding. 
I am weeding and deadheading and um, I'm going out first thing in the morning. Like I said, I went out and figure an hour and I did three hours today, got a lot done. So just kind of working my way all the way around one bit at a time. Um, and I've got some big projects in mind, which involve removal of stuff that it's like, I, that should not, I should not have that in it, yeah. not because it's illegal, but because it's like, I don't need ditch lilies. <laughs> so, Why would you have something that's illegal? I wouldn't. I mean, it sounded like I was, that's I funny. was growing something <laughs> illegal. I'm not growing anything illegal anyway. Okay. It's not, and it's not that hot there here this week. It's going to be in the eighties, whereas last week uh-huh. it was getting up into the nineties. So here's how we check Carol's watering system. Ooh, looks like I miss watering that container. Cause I actually can water everything by hand. Cause it's not that much. No, you don't have as much as, but I, I did have that. a hanging lantana out back and I thought, Ooh, some that looks crispy. Someone must've missed it last time. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> anyway, that's it. You got anything else you're going to do this week? No. Oh, right. well, a week from, well, this comes out on Wednesday. So a week from Thursday, I'm speaking in Tulsa and I'm actually talking on a new talk that I haven't prepared yet. So <laughs> I'm going to do that this week. That's kind of like gardening. That is. All right. Well, we want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com. It is also linked to in our show notes and it's free. If you do it, you will get a link to listen to the podcast a day early. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can set up a monthly monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. It was lovely to chat with all of you all of you over the garden gate. Bye until next week. Bye everybody.